I mean, um, okay, open up a Bible um, and head to 1 Samuel chapter 25. So we are continuing our series in the life of David. Um, today we're looking at the account of David and Abigail and Nabal. So there's a high likelihood that some of you have never read this uh, account. And this is going to be completely new um, to you. But this is, a, this, is a great, this is a great interaction, great step in the life of David. We're not going to do it like normal. We're not going to read the whole chapter. It's, it's quite long. I'm going to just read portions of it to give us um, uh, bearings of where we are in, in, in the account and, and pull some stuff out of it. But let's, before we get there, let's pray. Let's pray for us as we come to God's Word. Let's pray for our hearts. Let's pray for the Holy Spirit to, to teach us again this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we come, we come again uh, this morning to you, as we do every week, to ask that out of, your, out of your mercy and because of your love for us, you would send your Holy Spirit amongst us to teach us. There's so much that fills our lives um, each week. There's so much that happens um, to us. There's so much noise and busyness in our lives. And sometimes we arrive here on Sunday just tired, distracted, souls wrung out, exhausted, trying to play catch-up with ourselves, and yet we come and for these minutes we sit and we pray and ask that our God, our, our, the Father who loves us, would speak to us and would shape us and would strengthen us and love us through his living word. And so we ask you again, Father, that you would do that. You know the condition of our souls. You know what we need to hear. You know what the Spirit of God needs to do in us. And so we just say before you this morning again, we are expectant. We long for you to speak. We long for you to move in us and amongst us. Thank you that you have life-giving words for our souls this morning. We pray you'd give us hearts to receive and bring about the clarity and the help and the power that only the Holy Spirit can bring amongst us as we look at your word together. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When was the last time you were like, properly offended? I'm offended right now, Erwin, that you laughing at my question. Like properly offended, like you're still stewing about it now. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, yeah, it was yesterday. You know, and you're like, it's real time. Some of you are like, what we're going to look at today is, I'll be honest, it is a complicated account. It's a complicated pa passage. But I think as I've spent a lot of time in it, narrowed it down to this, that the world is a complicated place that's going to offend you. And it's going to flush out everything that's really deeply hidden inside of you. And it's going to drive you to needing Jesus to rescue you from yourself. Okay, so now if you nod off for the rest of the sermon, that was it. Some of you are going to think like, why are you going to take another however long to say everything? You just said it at the beginning. But that's, that's what they say you must do at preaching school. Tell people what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. So I'm just doing what they told me to do. I want us to read the first few verses here. We're going to read from verse 2. I told you it's 1 Samuel 25, eh? Okay, so I think they'll be... Oh, they are there. 
So Samuel dies. We, we're not going to go too much into that. Samuel's died. It's obviously a big deal then, but it's not the biggest deal for our story, for our, our consideration this morning. We're going to read from verse 2. A man in Maon had a business in Carmel. He was a very rich man with 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats and was sharing his sheep in Carmel. The man's name was Nabal and his wife's name, Abigail. The woman was intelligent and beautiful, but the man, a Calebite, was harsh and evil in his dealings. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So David sent ten young men, instructing them, Go up to Carmel, and when you come to Nabal, greet him in my name. Then say this, Long life to you, and peace to you. Peace to your family, and peace to all that is yours. I hear that you are shearing. When your shepherds were with us, we did not harass them, and nothing of theirs was missing the whole time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. So let my young men find favor with you, for we have come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have on hand to your servants and to your son David. David's young men went and said all these things to Nabal on David's behalf. And they waited. Nabal asked them, Who is David? Who is Jesse's son? Many slaves these days are running away from their masters. Am I supposed to take my bread, my water, and my meat that I butchered for my shearers and give, the, give them to these men? I don't know where they are from. Then jump forward to verse 14. It says, one of Nabal's young men informed Abigail, Nabal's wife, look, David sent messages from the wilderness to greet our master, and he screamed at them. The men treated us very well. When we were in the field, we weren't harassed, and nothing of ours was missing the whole time we were living among them. They were a wall around us, both day and night, the entire time we were with them, herding the sheep. What's going on here? David is in the wilderness with his men, uh, still on the run for his life. And um, they have encountered this rich man called Nabal. Now, it's hard to quantify exactly how wealthy he is, but it says he's rich. He's got like thousands of sheep and goats. He's a wealthy, wealthy guy. And what happens is that his sheep and goats are sort of roaming around in the wilderness there. David and his men are there protecting Nabal's stock, which is back then, that's, that's his wealth. His wealth is in his animals. His shepherds and his shearers are out there, living out there with the, with the flock. And David's men, his young men, are protecting them the whole time they're, they're out there. It might not seem like a massive detail to us, but it is a crucial part of the story. So many people's livelihoods depended on David's men protecting uh, these guys um, and their wealth. David then sends, uh, it comes to um, feast time, sheep sharing time, festival time. He sends some of his young men off to Nabal to say, hey, man, you know, we've been looking after your guys the whole time. We're out there. It'd be so cool if you could hook us up with some food and so we can celebrate and join in and everything else like you've got plenty you know and he did he had plenty plenty upon plenty and hey could you just give us some of it some of the extra so we can we can kind of celebrate remember david is living in the wilderness with between four and six hundred men 
It's a lot of, a lot of, lot of dudes. You just need to go on one man camp and realize you need a lot of food to feed that many guys. And they're living out there in the wilderness, maybe not eating the choices of foods, but now an opportunity has come to actually feast on something. And David respectfully sends some guys to ask Nabal, and what does Nabal say to him? Basically, this is the translation. Like, who are you, you clown? Like, who is David? He knew exactly the question marks next to who is David are not like, who is David? Who is Jesse's son? He knows exactly who David is. He knows he's Jesse's son. He, he, he's hurling insults at him. It says there from verse 14, he screamed at them. He, he, he just loses it. He is a, he's described in the, in, the, in the first verses, in verse 3, as a harsh and evil man in his dealings. His, his name means fool. Nabal means fool. That's the translation of his name. I mean, imagine that's your name. Like, hey, what's your name mean? My name means fool. Like, uh, that's his name, and he's acting like his name. Uh, he, he insults David's men and sends them, and sends them off. And we'll, we'll pick up uh, on the rest of the story about how David responds to that. But... Um, the first point I want, I'm going to make only three points. Look at three things. The first point is that there is the sin outside us. The sin outside us. The sin in the world in which we find ourselves in. It, 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 what, what does David encounter here? He, he, he runs into a few things. One of the things he runs into is, is greed and stinginess. Nabal has way more than he needs. And he's not willing to share any of it with David and his men. You see how he, how he speaks about it? He says, why should I take my bread, my water, and my meat and share it with you? Mine. It's mine. Why should I share it with you? Have you ever bumped into someone like that? Super stingy? Have you ever seen that in your own heart? I've seen it plenty times in my own heart. This is mine. Why should I share it with you? We live in Joburg. We face this on a daily basis. Every robot you get to, you're faced with the decision. Should I give something that's mine to you? You know, we just ignore people. We're like, oh, just I'm going. Like, oh, no, I contact. It's mine. Mine, mine, mine. We have, we have an understanding of our stuff. Being, oh, why would we want to share it with people? David encounters the greediness and the stinginess in the world. This is a sort of a side note. But I want to speak into this briefly before we move on to other stuff. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 12, if you're taking notes. Luke 12, from verse 16 to 20, when he says this, Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do, since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I'll do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, You fool, Nabal, this very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That is a sobering parable to read. Because I only want to make a simple point that when God prospers you, the command of the scriptures is not to build bigger barns. It's not to build bigger barns and to store up stuff for yourself to say, hey, life's going to be so sweet now. 
the encouragement of the scriptures is to so be rich toward God. And you're rich toward God in being generous, in giving to God, to his people, to blessing others with the abundance that God has given you. Sobering parable there because this guy tried to store it all up for himself and he, he, his life didn't last another day. His life was taken from him. You'll see later on in the story that exactly the same thing happens to Nabal. I don't want to ruin the movie for you, but God strikes him down dead. If you've got a Bible, you can read it there. I'm not making it up. It says God struck him down. It says his heart turned to stone, and 10 days later, God struck him down dead. I think God takes massive offense to people hoarding what's his, especially if he's given it to you to be a blessing to give to others. This is not, by the way, a motivation to give uh, here at Parkhurst. I'm not about to give you the bank details for the church and stuff like that kind of thing. If you don't want to give to the church, yeah, that's up to you. It's your deal or whatever else. I'm always talking about what's going on in your own heart and your relationship with the Lord around the stuff that he's blessed you with. That you make sure that you, we are rich towards God and we're not these, heart, these hoarders and barn builders and have massive issue with the one who's blessed us with all of that stuff. So David runs into this. This is some of the problems in the world. He runs into someone who's proud and arrogant. Who is this David clown? He, I'm, I'm Nabal. This is David. He, what does he say? He's, he says, there are many slaves these days are running away from their masters. He's basically calling David and all of his men a bunch of reprobate, run-around upstarts who are out-causing nonsense. they Slaves who are running away from their masters, lurking in the wilderness. He's not, he's not acknowledging who they are. He's not thanking them. Hey, he's not like, I so appreciate what you guys did for all of my shepherds and for looking after my flock. Man, I, I would love to bless you guys and say thank you. There's no appreciation of anything that David and his men have done for him. Does that sound like familiar? You know how poorly we respond when you feel unappreciated or dissed, dismissed, disrespected? Do they know who I am? Do they know who I am? I've shared this story, I think, before. It just popped into my head now. Um, I don't know if I should share it, but I will. When we went over to live in Seattle 10 years ago, 11, 12 years ago, I'm getting old. Uh, I'd been a rock star pastor, you know, at a big church. And everyone knew me there, and I spoke all the time there, whatever else. And then we went over there to go and train, to study church planting, whatever else, and I ended up serving as an intern. Um, that's how it worked kind of thing. And I became an intern at the age of, I don't know what I was, 30-odd, whatever. Uh, and they put me in the kids' ministry. So I went from preaching every Sunday to, like, tons of people, to sitting on a stool. This was my job description. I had to sit on a chair because the Americans are paranoid about safety and stuff. And I had a little scanner kind of thing, and I would scan the barcodes of the kids as they got registered kind of thing. That was my responsibility on Sundays. And I remember sitting on the stool thinking, these oaks don't know who I am. They don't know what I can do. I mean, I have superpowers, and now I'm sitting here with the barcode gun. I may as well go and work at the plum and pick and pay. Yeah, you know, like this is, this is the me. And God kept me on that stool month after month. After month, I never got to preach. I never got to speak to anyone for a whole year while I sat on that stool, reckoning with the God who loved me and said, look, you're proud. You're full of yourself. You think you're amazing. This is how I want you to serve. I just want you to serve as the kids' ministry barcode scanner, dude. 
Why am I telling you that? Because when somebody doesn't appreciate who you think you are and what you bring into the world, what rises up in you? What, rises, what offense do you take when someone doesn't praise you for the way you feel like you should be praised? When your boss praises your colleague and not you for the work that you've done together? Or, or you've done something amazing and they're just like, yeah, it's average, it's okay, whatever. Friends, family members, we, we carry so many opportunities to be offended. Not because of things necessarily out there, but because of things that lurk inside of us. We want to be honored. And how, you're going to see how David responds to this. How dare this clown Nabal not recognize, I am David, future king of Israel. And you'll see how he responds. Because this is the sin outside of us. You will know already, you're going to run into these people. There are Nabals all over the place. How many Nabals have you run into lately? How many of you are sitting here and your heart is twisted and bitter because you've run into a few Nabals? You haven't been honored, you haven't been esteemed, you've been disrespected. They haven't reimbursed you for what you think you um, are owed. That's the reality of the sin around us. It's the world we live in. We live in a fallen world. And it's going to happen. If it hasn't happened, it's going to happen. Where you'll be misrepresented, gossiped about, disrespected, overlooked. You'll run into ingratitude, greediness, all of these things. Second point is this. That's the sin outside us that you're going to run into. That is not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is the sin inside you. Then listen to how David response. Verse 12. David's young men retraced their steps. When they returned to him, they reported all these words. He said to his men, all of you, put on your swords. So each man put on his sword and David also put on his sword. About 400 men followed David while 200 stayed with the supplies. That's what happens. David is so offended that he doesn't give it time to think, to cool down. He's like, right, who's with me? Let's go. We are not going to talk. Have you seen that meme? I love that meme. Like, we're just here to talk. All those folks with like pangas and stuff like that. We just want to talk, you know. Kind of. That's not what's happening here. He rustles up 400 men with swords to go and have words with Nabal. I feel for the 200 oaks, you have to stay behind with the bags. It's an incidental detail in the story. Because you're going to be sinned against. And it matters whether you respond with grace or whether you respond sinfully. What happens to us is that we will go through life and we encounter the sin outside of us. And we respond in very ungracious and sinful ways. And we think that gives us justification because we can point there and say, you, look what you did to me. Look what you said to me. Look, 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 look. And the finger's going that way. And all of our actions are excused. We excuse ourselves completely for the way we respond. The Bible takes us to task on responding sinfully when you are sinned against. This is an inappropriate response from David. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, Something has now snapped in David. Remember the restraint that he showed with Saul? He finds himself in a cave, hiding from Saul. Saul is trying to kill him. Saul comes in to relieve himself. 
He's defenseless. David sneaks up and he does what? He spares Saul's life. He spares his life. Saul, who was trying to kill him, he spares his life. He shows such grace. And we're like, wow, let's be more like David. And then a couple of chapters later, Rich Nabal basically tells David to get lost and disrespects him. And what does he do? Show the same grace. No ways. He rustles up 400 oaks. And if you keep reading in the story, the plan is that he wants to go and kill every single male attached to Nabal's family. He says, may the Lord deal with me ever so severely if by the end of today I haven't killed every single man attached to that guy's family. Word for word, that's what it says there. They're not going to negotiate. They're not going to talk. That time is, that ship has sailed. They're going to lay the smack down on Nabal and all of the oaks uh, connected um, to him. What happened in David? Are you encouraged by David? I'm encouraged when I read this. I'm like, he shows such grace to Saul. A couple of chapters later, he's like, right, swords on, 400 oaks, let's go. We, we're now, I feel like, oh, David, David gets me. Because I can have the most amazing time with the Lord in the morning, get in the car, and somebody just needs to jump the traffic circle when it's my turn. And I'm raining down fire on them. I wish my car had like rockets that shot out from underneath. And I'm like, whoa, what happened now, you know? You know, I leave churches extending grace. Hey, Jesus, you're amazing. You know, by the end of Sunday, you've completely lost your way. That's what we're like. We're complicated people. Our greatest problem lies in ourselves. David needed rescuing, not from Nabal. David needed rescuing from David. And you need rescuing from what's going on in you. Not from external things. We're so quick to blame what's going on around us. And that's not our biggest problem, guys. That's Paul Tripp. If you've ever read anything by him, Paul Tripp says our greatest problem lies within us. And it's a good thing for us to bring our hearts to the Lord on a daily basis. Say, Lord, would you please help me? Would you continue to show me, show me and then transform what's in me that needs the, the gracious gospel to come to bear on those wayward parts of my own heart? How do you respond? How do you respond when you are disrespected, when you... Lack of appreciation not acknowledged. What rises up in you? What has risen? What's still stewing? If I asked you this morning, are you at peace with everyone? You know what the Bible says? As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If I asked you this morning, if we had to go in a quick audit, any bitterness, any offense that you're carrying, pay attention to this section. I, I want to make sure that we do serious dealing with the Lord this morning, that if you are carrying and harboring offense to somebody this morning, you don't take that lightly, that you come and you bring your heart to the Lord this morning and say, Lord, I'm still offended. I didn't realize. I'm still offended. When Doug asks, who's that person that I'm struggling to forgive, who I'm offended by, that person's right there. You don't have to dwell and think and scratch your head. And you're still festering. It will kill your joy. It will kill your love for Jesus. It will kill your fruitfulness for the mission of God. The Bible really encourages us to take seriously the bitter roots that rise up in us. And I would encourage you to do the same. David responds sinfully to being sinned against. And he is a man in need of a rescuer. So what does God do? 
very kindly. He sends a rescuer his way. The most unlikely person. The beautiful, intelligent Abigail. This is the longest, if you're a Bible nerd, this is the longest spoken passage by a woman in the Old Testament. That's why we're looking at it, because I think it's there for a good reason. So Abigail, you may never even heard her name, but she's a rock star. And she averts an absolute bloodbath by her bravery, by her courage, by her humility, by her example. We'll look at her example and then see something deeper. But let me read it for you. Basically what happens is that a servant, a servant um, I don't know if I've got this verse. No. A servant um, runs off and reports to um, Abigail what David's, David and his men are thinking. And says, look, like I came to speak to you because I can't speak to Nabal because he's thick as a rock. His head is like a stone. Basically, that's what he says. Like, I have no point talking to him because he's a moron. I'm coming to talk to you. Maybe there's something you can do, Abigail. Abigail rustles up um, like 200 fruitcakes and like bushels of this. I'm not going to bother with all the details. You can see it. It's in the Bible there. A whole bunch of food and good stuff. Loads up the donkeys and she heads out to go and intercept David on his way to go and lay the smack down on the bell. And as she gets near David, we'll pick up the story. Verse 23, this is what happens. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off the donkey and knelt down with her face to the ground and paid homage to David. She knelt at his feet and said, The guilt is mine, my Lord, but please let your servant speak to you directly. Listen to the words of your servant. My Lord should pay no attention to this worthless fool Nabal, for he lives up to his name. His name means stupid, and stupidity is all he knows. I don't recommend this uh, for the wives... Um, as a normal course of action. But there it is, you know. Do with it as you wish. I, uh, I, your servant, didn't see my Lord's young men whom you sent. Now, my Lord, as, as surely as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, it is the Lord who kept you from participating in bloodshed and avenging yourself by your own hand. May your enemies be like those who intend to harm my Lord, be like Nabal. Let this gift your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord is certain to make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because he fights the Lord's battles. Throughout your life may evil not be found in you. Someone is pursuing you and intends to take your life. My Lord's life is tucked safely in the place where the Lord your God protects the living. But he is flinging away your enemies' lives like stones from a sling. When the Lord does for my Lord all the good he promised you and appoints you ruler over Israel, there will not be remorse for a troubled conscience for my Lord because of needless bloodshed or my Lord's revenge. And when the Lord does good things for my Lord, may you remember me, your servant. Verse 32, then David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you to meet me today. May your discernment be blessed and may you be blessed. Today you kept me from participating in bloodshed and avenging myself by my own hand. Jump down to verse 39, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, blessed be the Lord who championed my cause against Nabal's insults and restrained his servant from doing evil. The Lord brought Nabal's evil deeds 
back on his own head. What do you see here in Abigail? There's a few things just to point out. that, And again, it's not like I don't want this to be like five points to dealing with conflict. But there are some things that you see here that are massively helpful. She comes in an, an astonishing display of humility to David. It says she jumps off, you know, and she bows down, she pays homage. She's, she comes very humble. She's not marching in there saying, hey, you look, yeah, man, you're overreacting, dude. Just calm down, calm the farm. You just, you and your guys, you know, you're not helping. She just comes with, with humility and a posture of humility. And, and I want to say this, that if you're having conflict with somebody or you're dealing with offense, approaching it with a humble posture does a lot, a lot to suck emotion, drama, future potential offense and hurt out of things. It's a miracle of the Lord that enables us to be humble in posture to people in conflict situations. Most astonishingly, I think, here is that she takes on a sin that isn't hers. What did she say? Would you, would you, forgive, would you forgive me? The guilt is mine. Hmm? You didn't do anything wrong. You, it's your clown of a husband who's caused all this mess. You didn't do anything. She knows that acknowledging that to David and bearing the guilt of her husband is going to do something to offset the bloodshed that's going to happen. This should be ringing some bells for you already. She intercedes on behalf of innocence and the guilty. Her actions save the bloodshed of many Many others. What else does she do? She reminds him of truth. In her long speech there, she's saying, look, you're going to be the king one day. And the Lord's going to bless you. And you're a warrior who God has anointed and helped. And, and, and a kingdom, kingdom's going to flourish under you. And you're going to be a man who's blessed you, reminding him of everything that awaits him and who God called him to be. And she's warning him, saying, God has called you to be all these things. Same thing like with Saul. Don't shortcut this. Don't take matters into your own hands. It's not for you to deal with, David. This is what's waiting for you. This is what God's called you to be and to do. You've forgotten that. In that instant, God, David had forgotten who God was, what God had called him to do, and, and who he was in him. He'd forgotten that. He was taking matters into his own hands. Sword strapped on, 400 dudes. No, no, David, that's not what God called you to do, but he had forgotten. And how quickly we forget who we are in God especially when you're offended. And she wisely and lovingly and brilliantly appeals to his conscience. And she says to him, David, you don't want to do this. You don't want to do this. You don't want to be the king one day and have this innocent blood on your hands. You don't want to remember back to this day where you put hundreds of guys to the sword and sinned against the Lord in doing that and have this guilt hanging over your head. If you have friends like that in your life, treasure them. And if you're a f not a friend like that, I encourage you to be that kind of a friend, to appeal to each other's consciences and say, you don't want to go down that road. You don't want to do that. There's too much more for you in the future there. Do you honestly want to end up there one day? It's, it's a motivation to keep us from sin, painting a future for people to say, hey, if you keep doing this, this is where you're going to end up. Don't do it. 
it, it, it's loving, honest, strong words, but appealing to David's conscience saying, you don't want this regret hanging over your head one day, David. As we close, I want to connect the dots here of how Abigail points us to Jesus. Can you see it, how she does it? She comes humbly, like Jesus. Comes into, Jesus doesn't come with fanfare. Jesus comes humbly into the world. Jesus is different from Abigail. Though. Jesus doesn't just confess sin that isn't his. He becomes sin that isn't his. Jesus becomes sin that isn't his. So that many who deserve the punishment go unpunished. And don't get what's coming to them. He is the one who intercedes and his death saves many. That's part of, I think, why this account is in the scriptures. is for us to look at this and think, and look at Abigail and think, this is amazing, this rescuing act kind of thing, interceding here, getting in the way, stopping David. It's not just, let's just look at David. Okay, David, that's another event in his life. It's for us to look at Abigail and say, Abigail, there's many ways in which you're pointing to the greatest rescuer. The one who rescued uh, David from himself, Abigail, Jesus rescues us from ourselves. Guys, there are a million ways in which you can come before the Lord this morning and say, thank you, Lord, for stopping me from doing things that would have ruined my life. There are ways he has stopped you that you're not even aware of. There's some that you're able to praise him for, say, yeah, I remember that God sent me this friend, or he warned me of this, he gave me a sense of conviction around these things. And I think there are many millions of other ways God has stopped us from shipwrecking our own lives. And that is the kindness of God. He is our great rescuer. Jesus is the one who rescues us from ourselves. And so we come to him this morning and we say, Lord, we didn't need rescue. We live needing rescue, needing a rescuer. And we're going to share in, we're going to share in communion in, in, a, in a minute's time. And it's a great reminder for us to remember to say, it's because of this body and blood given for us that we get to come and do serious dealings with God. They say, God, well, I carry this offense with me. I carry this hurt with me, this lingering hurt. That you can bring it to the Lord. Because he actually carries those. We were singing it earlier that uh, our sin was stronger, but Jesus is, our sin was strong, Jesus is stronger. Our shame was great. Shame, sin, hurt. Regret, pain, offense. Jesus takes all of those to the cross that you don't have to carry them. And I know that some of what I'm speaking about now, some of you are you're switching off because you're saying, you don't know what was done to me. You don't know how difficult it was. You don't know how painful it is. You're making light of it. I've tried to forgive. It's too hard. I want to plead with you again. Bring your heart again and again and again. I know it takes time after time for the Lord to work that miracle of forgiveness in us and release from hurt and offense but life is too short there's too much at stake for us to go around carrying woundedness and hurt and offense in us we need our rescuer to come and we need to do dealings with him that say you carry it for me you're the rescuer i'm not strong enough to keep carrying this and he will do it let's pray together
Before we come to share in communion briefly, I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. I was struck by the Bible's command to us to examine ourselves before, before we celebrate um, communion. And I want to I encourage us and urge us to take a minute to examine our own hearts this morning, what condition they're in, that we don't eat and drink in unworthy ways. That encouragement in Scripture is given for us to say, let's examine our hearts and see what's going on, and let's make right, let's deal with the Lord before, before we eat and drink. Not even as, but before. And we ask for forgiveness. We, we, re, we, we extend forgiveness. We extend grace to others that we've been withholding it from. So I want to encourage you this, this morning, just before we come to communion, to examine your own heart before the Lord. And particularly with that emphasis on if there's people who, that we harbor offense against. There's unforgiveness lurking in us. There's hurt that we're holding on to. May we come and we bring that before the Lord and ask for His, for His healing, empowering grace again this morning. Father, I thank you that you love to do that. Thank you that you love to set us free from hurt and offense and bitterness. You, you long for us to live in full joy and freedom as, as your children. And yet we acknowledge that we just were so easily offended. So easily hurt by others. We, we so love to hold on to those things. And we respond just like David. We respond sinfully to people's actions towards us. And we are a people deeply in need of a rescuer. So we come to you this morning and ask you, Father, would you rescue us from ourselves again? Would you rescue us from hardness of heart, from bitterness, from unforgiveness? We want to leave this place this morning in the renewed freedom and life and joy of the gospel and of the Holy Spirit. And we look to you now to help us. We don't have it within ourselves. We need rescuing. And thank you that you love us and you're persistent and you pursue us. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here that you would pour out the Spirit and do a wonderful work in our hearts this morning as we come now to eat and drink and remember you, Jesus, the one who gave it all to be our great rescuer.